Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, Desiring the Kingdom, a study of the books of First and Second Kings. Here's Pastor Nick. Good morning. Would you please open with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Kings chapter 3. Last Sunday, we began a new sermon series called Desiring the Kingdom, in which we're studying through the books of 1 and 2 Kings. And in these books, we are looking at a time period in the history of Israel that was very significant. Uh, It actually begins with their golden age. And we're going to see their society, their kingdom decline to the point where they end up in exile uh, by the end of these books. It's 400 years of history of the nation of Israel. But more than anything, as we said last week, in all of these stories, what we are going to be pointed to constantly is the promise of God of an everlasting kingdom and its king, Jesus Christ. That's, what, that's the story that is underneath all of these stories that we're going to see as we study through these books. So today, we're in 1 Kings chapter 3, and the text we're going to read together is 1 Kings 3, verses 3 through 14. So if you'd like to read along with me, that's where we'll be. It begins like this. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father, Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father. Although I am but a little child, I, did not, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon asked this, and God said to him, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches, or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And as we study it, Lord, we need understanding. Just as Solomon asked, Lord, would you enlighten our eyes? Would you give us listening hearts and understanding minds, Lord, that we might see in your word beautiful things and apply them to our lives, we ask. Thank you, Jesus. You are the wisdom of God given to us. And so we turn to you now and ask that you teach us and that we would receive everything you have for us in this passage. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask you a question. If you could ask God for just one thing, what would it be? 
If God said, ask anything you want and it'll be yours, what would you ask? Would you ask for money? Would you ask for success? Would you ask for friendship? Maybe you would ask for physical health or maybe it's something for somebody you know and love that you would ask for God to do for you or do for them. Solomon was presented with this great question from God, this offer from God for anything he wanted. And the response that Solomon gave was something that impressed God and pleased God. See, Solomon asked not for money or power, not for health or wealth. Solomon asked for wisdom. Solomon realized that this was something that he lacked, something that he needed from God. And he had the humility to admit his need and ask God to fill up what he lacked and meet the need that he had. As we look at this story, all of us, like Solomon, we have many needs that only God can meet. And in reality, Solomon's desire for God's wisdom was actually something bigger. This is what we're going to see. It was something bigger than just the need to know how to respond in certain situations. It was actually the desire for something bigger than Solomon himself probably realized at the time. You see, we all need the wisdom of God, not only to make right decisions in life, we also need the wisdom of God in order to save us. I'll explain what I mean by that. You see, the wisdom of God which Solomon desired and which all of us need, the wisdom of God was made manifest in a person who walked this earth. That's what we're going to see as we go on. The title of today's message is Wisdom from God. And there are three key elements to this story that we're going to see as we go through this passage in 1 Kings chapter 3. The three key elements are, number one, a divided heart. A divided heart. The second one is a noble request. And thirdly, we're going to see the response of God. So let's look at that first one, a divided heart. Chapter 3 begins with these words. It says, Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. Okay, so marriage between royal families was a common practice in the ancient world, as well as in the Middle Ages, and even up to this present day. I, uh, you know, I learned something watching The Crown on Netflix, and that is that Queen Elizabeth of England is married to Prince Philip, who is a prince of Greece, right? And so this is still something that goes on to these days. And in, in many ways, this isn't just a matter of royals wanting to only associate with people of their same class and stature. Uh, a big part of it, especially in the past, was that these marriages were really marriages about political alliances. They were ways that people made treaties and political alliances. You see, if Pharaoh's daughters married to the king of Israel, you know, they have dinner together. They have the, the grandkids in common, right? And so they're much more likely to get along and have peace and work together between their nations. But here's the thing you need to see in all of this. Uh, it doesn't immediately appear. You kind of have to look around. And that's this. This was not Solomon's first marriage. Now, if you just read here in First. Kings chapter 3, it appears like, okay, and so Solomon got married, and this was his first marriage. No, we know this wasn't his first marriage, because in 1 Kings chapter 14, later on, it tells us that Solomon's son Rehoboam was 41 years old when he took the throne, and 1 Kings 11 tells us that Solomon reigned for 40 years. So you do the math, and what that means is that Rehoboam, Solomon's son, was one year old at the time when Solomon took the throne and he was born, it tells us his mom's name later on, it tells that her name was 
Nama the Ammonitess. Okay, so this marriage to the, to the daughter of Pharaoh, this was in reality um, Solomon's second and perhaps even his third or fourth marriage. We can't know for sure. There's some theories, by the way, if you've read the Song of Solomon, that that is actually the story of Solomon's first marriage to a woman from Jerusalem. Now, again, we don't know, and that's really hard to keep track of, but the, we do know this, that before it's all said and done, Solomon is going to marry a lot more people than just these guys, right? Now, now remember, the Bible is in a way reporting the news. It's not telling us that God was okay with or God condoned this practice of Solomon having multiple wives. In fact, he certainly didn't. And we will talk about that as we go on in this story. But these multiple marriages of Solomon the thing we need to see today is specifically this, specifically as marriages to pagan women. These are something that is going to lead to great spiritual disaster in his life. Later on in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah will speak to the people that he's leading and he'll say, he'll warn them not to follow in the error of King Solomon, who though he was a great king, fell into error. Why? Because he married pagan women who did not share his faith, did not share his devotion to God. In fact, 1 Kings chapter 11 tells us very clearly, it says this, Solomon had many foreign wives from the nations of which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn your heart away from God to their gods. And it says then, Solomon worshiped their gods and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And check this out. He did not wholly follow the Lord as David, his father had done. And Solomon built altars for his foreign wives and he made offerings and sacrifice to their gods. See, the issue was not one of marrying women who were foreigners. The issue was not that these were people of different you know, races or ethnicities. Not at all. The issue was that these were pagan people. They worshiped different gods. They had different religions. See, God's law given through Moses did not forbid marrying people of other nationalities. What it forbade, or forbid, I'm not sure on that one, forbid or forbade, what it did was it said it's not okay to marry people who worship other gods. So Ruth, for example, if you've heard of the book of Ruth, it's the story of a woman who was a foreigner. She was from Moab, and yet, uh, though she was initially a pagan, through her relationship with a woman named Naomi, she becomes a worshiper of the one true God, and she ends up becoming the great-grandmother of King David, the great-great-grandmother of Solomon, and of course, she's part of Jesus's family line. Again, a foreigner, but not a pagan. So the issue was not intermarriage between people of other nationalities. The issue was intermarriage between people of different faiths. And, and we see the same principle carried through into the New Testament as well, where we're told that followers of Jesus should not be unequally yoked with people who are not followers of Jesus. Why, you might ask? You know, isn't that kind of arbitrary? Why does God want to control those kind of things? I mean, love is love, right? Well, now, if you would have been an ancient person or even, even somebody who lives in an agrarian society today, that picture of being unequally yoked would have been very meaningful to you. You would have understand immediately why God is saying not to do it. And here's why. Because a yoke is a wooden contraption that's used to link two animals together so that they can pull something, so they can accomplish a task, whether that's pulling a plow or pulling a cart or pulling a wagon. And if you were an ancient person, of course, you would immediately 
know that you would never yoke two different kinds of animals to each other, right? So you might yoke two donkeys or two horses or two oxen, but you wouldn't uh, mix the two. And the reason is because those animals are of different sizes and different temperaments and different strengths. And so what would happen is if you were to mix those two and have them be unequally yoked, what it would do is it would cause pain to those animals and it would make it difficult for them to move together and accomplish the task which they were given to do. And that picture of two animals being yoked together and given a task, that's a really important picture when it comes to marriage or dating or intimate relationships that we might enter into in life. And what that means is this, what it reminds us of is this, God has a calling and a purpose for your life. And what you do with that matters very much. And it wouldn't make any sense to bind yourself, right? To, to partner yourself with someone who doesn't help you fulfill that purpose or who makes it harder to fulfill that purpose. You've been listening to a message by Pastor Nick Cady of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We'll get back to the remainder of this message in a moment. We are open for in-person worship on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m., we have implemented procedures to ensure your safety as we gather for worship and studying God's Word. Come grow with us on Sunday mornings, online or in person at 8, 9.30 and 11 a.m. Now, back to Pastor Nick with the remainder of today's message. So when you're seeking a partner, this is something we keep in mind. God has a calling and a purpose on my life. And therefore, the purpose, you know, what I'm looking for in a partner needs to be someone who can join with me in that task so we can do it together. And right, and what happens as, as we don't do that, we, we see some of the examples in the life of Solomon and in the lives of other people in the Bible. The result ends up being pain and struggle for both people involved, and it becomes much harder to fulfill that purpose that God has called you to fulfill. And in some cases, like in the case of Solomon, um, the people that you are yoked to can actually lead you off course or in a completely different direction. But here's the thing I need to say about that is that when we talk about Solomon turning his heart away from the Lord and we talk about uh, these multiple marriages that he had to pagan women, here's what you need to understand. We are not saying that it is, you know, poor, innocent Solomon who got led astray by these evil, terrible women, you know? Not at all. Solomon made his choices, and he's responsible. You see, the very fact that Solomon was marrying women who worshipped pagan gods, this was symptomatic of something going on in Solomon's heart, right? Some other things that were taking place in Solomon's heart. It reveals to us a lot about Solomon's priorities and Solomon's values and how Solomon related to God. See, this was a sign, it was a symptom of the fact that Solomon had a divided heart. And that's exactly what this passage wants us to see about him. Look at what it says in verse 3. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father, except, or some translations say, but right? That's never good, right? Like when it says he did something really good, but, right? So it's saying that was good, but there was something that wasn't good. But it says he, he sacrificed at the high places, but he married 
these women who were pagans. You see, this verse is giving us an assessment of Solomon. Generally, he loved the Lord and walked with God, but he also did some stuff that was out of bounds, and he knew it was out of bounds. He knew that this is coloring outside the lines, that God had told him, don't do these things, but he did them anyway. And this is important because if you remember back to chapter two, which we looked at last week, before David died, he told his son Solomon, he told him, I want you to walk with God faithfully. And he says, I want you to walk with God with all your heart and with all your soul. And I want you to hold fast to the word of God. That was in 1 Kings chapter two, verses one through four. But what we see here in the opening verses of chapter three is that Solomon is not doing that. You see, on the one hand, Solomon genuinely does love the Lord, but on the other hand, his heart is divided. See, whereas David was a man after God's own heart, Solomon was a man with a divided heart. That's the difference between these two. Solomon did love the Lord, but he had kind of one foot in and one foot out at the same time. Solomon loves God, but he also uh, picks and chooses when it comes to following God and obeying God in different areas of his life. The fact that he married pagan women is a sign that he isn't fully devoted to God, that his priorities are out of whack. And living with them in marriage, it isn't the thing itself which ruined him. No, it just exacerbated what was already going on within him and, and brought it to a head. You see, it only encouraged and strengthened that part of his divided heart that wasn't given over to God. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, Paul tells them this. He says, do not give the devil a foothold. Now, I know some of you guys are rock climbers and you know all about footholds. In a way, footholds are more important than handholds, right? And so we get this picture that, that it's painting, this text, which says, don't give the devil a foothold. What's the picture? It's this picture of, of, right, that there's an enemy of your soul, the devil who wants to conquer you. I, imagine it like a fortress wall surrounding a city. And what's he doing? He's trying to scale the fortress wall and get over it. And of course, it says, don't give him a foothold. Don't don't give him an opening. Don't give him an opportunity to settle in and take hold and get established in some area of your life. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing, guys. All of us are a little bit like Solomon to different degrees, right? You and me both, we all have divided hearts to one degree or another. I'm not up here saying, hey, you should check your heart to see if it's divided, unlike me. No, I'm telling you, all of us, to some degree or another, we have divided hearts. And that's why it's so important that we surround ourselves with rhythms and practices and people who will strengthen those parts of our heart that love the Lord and want to follow in his ways rather than surrounding ourselves with people and practices and rhythms in our lives that will strengthen the parts of our hearts that lean towards other things. You see, imagine it like this. Your divided heart is almost like this. Imagine that there are two lion cubs, right? You've got two lion cubs. One represents the part of your heart that loves the Lord and desires to walk with him. The other one represents the part of your heart which desires to, to do other things, right? Paul refers to this as the flesh. And every day, 
multiple times a day, you get to choose which of these lion cubs you're going to feed. And whichever one you feed, right, on the other hand, you're starving the other one. So you're, you're always feeding one and starving the other. Well, over time, the one you feed is going to get stronger and bigger and more powerful. And the one that you starve is going to get weaker and smaller. And so the question for you is this, which one are you going to feed and which one are you going to starve? Paul the Apostle talks about this in terms of sowing seeds, sowing to the flesh or sowing to the spirit. He says, if you sow to the flesh, you will reap destruction. If you sow to the spirit, you will reap eternal life. Right? Imagine it's the, the two lion cubs, right? You're feeding one and you're starving the other. What are you going to do? You make this choice multiple times a day. But here's the thing you need to know, and we see it here in the life of Solomon. If you choose to feed that part of your heart that is wayward, that, that loves those things that are not the things of God, right? Feeding the flesh, so to say. Then one day what's going to happen is that lion cub of your flesh that it, it will get big enough and one day it will turn on you and it will devour you. In the book of Genesis, God himself uses this same analogy, basically. Here's what he says. He's talking to Cain. You remember the story of Cain and Abel. They were the two sons of Adam and Eve. And uh, Cain murdered his brother Abel. But before he did that, he, God could see that Cain was angry. He could see what Cain was contemplating. And God spoke to Cain there. And do you remember what he said to him? He said, Cain, Sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is to have you, but you must rule over it. Now, now, let me break that down. Sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is to have you. He's using a metaphor for sin. The metaphor is something that's crouching. What crouches? Things that crouch, right, are uh, tigers, lions, panthers, People crouch sometimes, right? You might crouch down to talk to a, a child. You might crouch down when you're playing a game with somebody, right? Why do you crouch? To make yourself look smaller than you actually are. To make yourself look less innocent, right? You crouch down to speak to a child. Why? To make yourself not look so intimidating. Now, what is he saying about sin? This is what sin is like. Right? It, it, the danger, the insidiousness of sin is that it presents itself as something that's not that big of a deal, something that's not that dangerous, something that's not that intimidating, something that you can handle. But as it's crouching down, what is it doing? It's preparing for its attack. You see, the way sin and compromise present themselves in your life is this. They present themselves as something innocent, something that's not that big of a deal. You say, yeah, maybe I shouldn't be doing that thing, but it's not that big of a deal. I can handle it. I've got it under control. But again, if you keep feeding that lion, eventually it gets so big, it gets so strong that it turns on you and it will overcome you and it will rip you to shreds. That is exactly what we see in the life of Solomon. That is exactly how it happened. And that story has been told over and over again in countless lives. Guys, all of us, we have crouching sins. Do you know what the crouching sins in, are in your life? I'll tell you a good way to recognize them. Usually the crouching sins in your life, the ones that are perhaps the most dangerous, are the ones which you know are wrong, and yet you make excuses for them because you say it's not that big of a deal. That's what Solomon did with his wives here. That's what Solomon did with, with making sacrifices at the high places, which I'm going to explain here in a second. You see, when it comes to God, here's what you need to know. He loves you. 
He absolutely loves you. You see, I talk to some people, and it's as if they think that God is like a, a, a kind of cosmic control freak. He's insecure, and he has nothing better to do than just dish out arbitrary commands. But I want you to know that's not at all the case. Not at all, right? Even when it describes the law in the Old Testament, it says, these laws which are for your good always, right? In other words, God is a father, a loving father, and he's been around a while. He knows some stuff, and he knows what's best for you, and he absolutely loves you. He wants what's best for you. He doesn't want to see you suffering unnecessarily. He wants to see you joyful and thriving. So here's what we see throughout the Bible. We see it in the life of Solomon and, and elsewhere as well. You could put it this way. Holiness leads to happiness. Holiness leads to happiness, but sin leads to pain, heartache, sorrow, and ultimately death. We are going to see that play out in the life of Solomon. See, what we have here, we're seeing now in seed form what is going to take root in Solomon's life and is going to come to full flower, and that flower is not going to be good. You have been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Make sure to tap the subscribe button if you would like to have new messages delivered to your device every week when they are released. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support our ministry, you can do so by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or by giving a donation to our church on our website at whitefieldschurch.com.